0: hey welcome to the virtually speaking podcast my name is pete fletcher and joining me as usual is my good friend mr john nicholson john how you doing buddy
1: good i'm uh, furiously updating my lab
0: <laughs> oh yeah, what, what, is that because VSphere Eight? You know, you you know the big announcement at Explore. You gotta have VSphere the new shiny, Eight, man. You yeah.
1: gotta have the new shiny. It's out. I hit upgrade. That's all I know. So,
0: <laughs> just like that, just like when your iPhone new upgrade right away, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Although I, I may need to check and see if my hardware is supported. So we should probably call someone uh, about that.
0: Yeah, well, hey, man, just as, as normal, you are in luck. We've we've got the expert on the line. Uh, this podcast is dedicated to all things you need to know about vSphere 8. We haven't titled it yet, uh, but since vSphere 8 is out, we definitely have a good friend that tends to tinker uh, and tends to make sure he can break anything and then also automate it. And uh, you probably know him as William Lamb. William, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. You know, Funny enough, I'm also doing upgrades as well.
0: (laughs) I bet you are. Yeah. So you've been a busy guy. Uh, You know, vSphere 8 announced at VMware Explorer. You were on stage, you know, carrying a Nook at one point, I think. And you were were talking to some VMware Cloud on AWS, but also the big announcement, vSphere 8. And I know you're also gonna be at VMware Explorer Barcelona because hey, we're doing a session together, 60 minutes of virtually speaking, uh, accelerating uh, the journey to the cloud. So be sure to sign up for that one while, while there's still room. Uh, but William, b 8, you've been playing with it for a while or what?
2: Yeah, been, been spending some time with it lately. I think you might've seen uh, just a few blog posts out in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, just kind of recovering from VMware US Explorer, definitely looking forward to uh, Barcelona. Um, yeah. yeah. So. You know some of the things that I've been getting a lot of questions on even before we announced v8 was sort of you know how do I go about getting started especially from a home lab point of view right we know a lot of uh, of our customers get started that way uh, to play with our new software stack and the easiest way is to kind of deploy it into a home lab setting and uh, I wrote a blog post uh, not too long ago sort of you know titled around home lab considerations for v8 you know definitely check it out um, there are definitely a lot of different nuggets out there for users that are you um, Familiar with our ecosystem, and in fact, this past week I've spoken to a lot of brand new users who've never really worked with ESXi. So it's really fantastic to see that you know our user base continues to grow even to this day, where most organizations are like ninety to ninety-five percent virtualized, um, and they just want to get hands-on with the latest uh, version of East for AIDS, And they have different uh, hardware platforms, you know, typically like an Intel Nook, you know, super inexpensive, sixty-four gigs of memory. I can put multiple NVMe drives in there. Um, and that's great for things like, you know, basic vSphere and virtualization, all the way up to things like vSAN, NSX, and even some of our ARIA solution. And in that blog post, it kind of helps users come in, kind of think about what do you need to consider, right? Every major release of vSphere obviously has a hardware compatibility list, and some things may be taken off the list, you know, from our ecosystem vendors right they may not want to support certain types of NIC drivers especially ones that have been around for several years oh yeah and so from a home lab standpoint you probably know first question is like hey can i upgrade um are these devices going to be um visible or or am i not going to support and so one of the tricks that i've used ages ago but i guess it's still not really well-known knowledge is that um you can check without doing any installation so if you've got a hardware platform that might be a little bit aged um and you just want to be sure that your NIC drivers, your storage drivers, everything is going to be seen without problems, Um, you can download the ESXi 8 ISO, put it onto a USB stick, boot it up. Don't do any installation, right? In fact, you can actually do an installation just on that USB key. So if you've got ESXi already installed, say like on another USB key or on existing uh, SSD, you can leave it alone, right? That's something that a lot of folks don't realize that you can actually install multiple versions of ESXi on the same hardware, just stored on different uh, USB key devices. And so that's something I personally use to just validate that, like, hey, everything's up, you know, everything's working. And so when you boot into the installer, you can jump into the console and you can take a look at like, hey, are my NICs showing up? Are my storage devices showing up? Am I getting any warnings for CPUs? If you've got some older CPUs, there is a kernel advanced setting that you can apply um, that allows you to basically bypass the check. And obviously for a good enterprise experience, you wanna use hardware that's from the HCL, but obviously for home lab purposes, that may not always be possible, right? So um, a lot of tricks in that in, in that article. So definitely recommend folks check it out, even if you've been working with VMware for the past you know, decade plus.
1: Now, if you if you do the interactive uh, installer from the ISO, booting from the ISO, doesn't it yell at you if like there's certain devices that have been deprecated? So it'll say like, "Hey, this this is this device is deprecated, so you should get yep. a warning." Not if you go that absolutely, route.
2: yeah. So if it doesn't see it, um, and and we have a list of device IDs that's basically encoded into the installer, right? And so the easiest way is like, hey, can I see it? But you could go through the interactive installer before the last prompt. And if your CPU is not supported, you'll get a warning. And in fact, if the CPU is not supported, you will not even get a next button to proceed unless you add in that special CPU kernel bypass option. And then Nick's got a good point around the, uh, or sorry, John, (laughs) John's got a good point on the uh devices it will actually show those devices and say yep we don't these are no longer supported so you as an end user know immediately like yep can't use this uh can't install it and we will prevent you from installing it right as a as a good bypass and that way you know for sure if your hardware is going to be um you're going to have a good experience after the fact that way it's not going to be installed and then blindly reboot and then you know things aren't working anymore.
1: so i know like for instance the melanox uh cx3 which is at this point a very ancient Ancient Nick, it was a great Nick, but that was one that was dropped. Is that something I can manually, like you know, copy that Vib in and try to force in in a hilariously unsupported way? Some devices are
2: definitely old, and I get a lot of folks want to hold on to it, you know, and and I'm all for that as well. But you know, some of these devices are extremely old, and ultimately, these drivers aren't produced by VMware. So although we inbox the drivers, they are provided by our third party vendors, and at some point, you know, when we have these releases, they have to do they have to decide. What do they want to support? Are there potential bugs, issues, and performance? And so, you know, they made a decision not to support it. And you know, the CX three are extremely popular, and I know that they're widely deployed. Um, but unfortunately, with with a. O, it's not going to be uh, something that it's going to see any longer. So you will have to kind of look at some alternatives.
1: So I, I would like to go on a brief soapbox rant here uh, before everyone gets on Reddit and says, "Oh my God, VMware is the worst um, for for." dropping support for my CPU or my Nick. VMware doesn't make these decisions. Um, these decisions are made respectively by the server OEMs. They decide what they want to resupport. Uh, the CPU uh, vendors, Intel makes a decision. In fact, uh, you can go look at Arc and stuff will randomly just show up as discontinued or EOS because frankly, I don't understand Intel's life cycle, but they, they, they make their own decisions to stop shipping microcode. And we're not, we can't keep supporting stuff that we can't get security updates on from the back end Uh, we're grownups unfortunately Um, and so yeah, there are these hacks there are these flags but this isn't VMware VMware isn't forcing you to buy a new server there is no evil conspiracy I see this repeated online repeatedly and I get very confused because I would like to know where my check from you know Nvidia is for the making people buy a new Mellanox so um, yeah ran over. (laughs) <laughs>
0: but. well, I've noticed on uh, you know obviously vSAN eight and vSphere eight both have you know different requirements uh, memory requirements uh, specifically uh, are all of those requirements when you're when you're deploying even I know you've got some scripts where you auto deploy uh, like a nested lab for you know l- let me stand up an entire vSAN environment in this nested lab as a vApp um, how is that how how has that changed with some of the increased requirements for vSAN and vSphere, if it has at all.
2: Right, yeah, there's definitely some changes. Obviously, lots of exciting capabilities. You know, vSAN ESA is another big one. And so obviously with these new functionality comes additional resource requirements, right? And and that's kind of to be expected. And so earlier I spoke about, you know, installing, you know, vSphere 8, vSAN 8, you know, on a physical server, you know, for those that remember how to do that. Um, But for me, typically, Um, I may not always update uh, my physical infrastructure right away, right? And I'm sure that's probably the same for many folks, right, to have something stable. And so the next best thing to be able to get your hands on the awesome features of vSphere 8 and vSign 8 is to deploy that into a nested environment. And what that means is that you're going to basically run ESXi inside of a virtual machine, you know, so that will mimic, you know, your physical infrastructure. And the nice thing about that, especially if you have, the additional resources is now you can start to play with things like stretch clustering. You can play with NSX. It's things, you can start to emulate and simulate things that you might want to do in your production environment. And that's something that I've done for ages as a customer. Right? The first thing when a release becomes available, I automatically script it using Kickstart. Um, these days, we have a lot more fancy tools like you know a Lifecycle Manager that makes it super easy to lay down images and configurations. Um, but being able to run that in a nested environment allows you to really, you know, learn about the new workflows. If you break something, guess what? You just delete it and redeploy. Uh, and so that's something that I built over the years. And I recently published a new vSphere 8 and vSAN 8 uh, lab deployment script. And all you all you all you need to do is download the vCSA installer, download my nested ESXi appliance, and depending on your physical infrastructure. So for my environment, I have a uh, an old super micro box. So it took about 37 minutes to stand up a full vSphere environment. That's vCenter, ESXi, vSAN fully configured, turned on, and ready to start deploying your workloads. And then at that point, you've got the full stack. You can start to play with, you know, whether it's ESA, whether you want to play with some of the new capabilities like data sets, some of the new features of vLCM. And so I really like nested virtualization for that reason is that I can play with what I'm interested in, whether it's automation, scripting, or just kind of understanding some of the new features that we've announced.
0: Oh, yeah. Home labs are a must. I mean, whether you're a customer, a partner, whether you're just, you know, if you're in this industry, if you if you can't, you know, have a little joystick time. Uh, on, on an environment, you know, they're, they're, you're never going to learn it. And so, and and that is one of the beauties of where John and I are. We have, and, and of course yourself, we get the ability to automatically deploy a lot of these things just on demand. You know, we've got scripts where it's like, give me an eight node cluster, give me a 12, you know, how, give me these specs. And it just appears. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to test it. You don't need to have a physical environment uh, to do proof of concept, to understand what some of these features are and how they work. So I think that's that's been kind of the beauty of virtualization in general is just learning this stuff and being able to do it in a nested environment is certainly, uh, yeah, it's, it's mean, certainly it's, more yeah, cost just, effective.
2: Exactly, just like we can run traditional enterprise modern applications, right? We can run our entire software stack. And it's not just for folks running vSphere. Uh, in fact, I even did a blog post uh, on how to run vSphere 8 on Fusion and Workstation because we actually have a lot of people who have very beefy um, desktop systems. Um, You know, Sometimes these are actually more powerful than some of the home lab kits and all that. And we have our hosted products like Fusion and Workstation. Works great, has virtual networking. And so again, that's another ideal environment. And so I recently did a blog post because there are some changes in the vCenter installer. Um, So minor tweaks, but now you can also deploy vSphere 8 into your hosted environment and that can just be available side by side. So think about power consumption, additional hardware that you may not need. So there's definitely a lot of different options, right? And I kind of see this as like, you know, for those that work at VMware, you know, we have access to infrastructure like Nimbus, which is like, hey, just give me an environment. You know, this is sort of the Nimbus for customers and partners to take the tires on and and kind of explore some of the new features.
1: Someone was asking me some specifics of doing nested vSAN. And I thought to myself, man, I am so bougie spoiled that like, I haven't manually done that in three years. And I was like looking at your blogs, to give them advice because yeah I just I log into a web portal and click point at a build and hit go give me a cluster and it just summons it's it's magical like the you know nest the first the first drug is nested the next the next real like the hard stuff is getting an automation on it and then you know it's game over for how easier life becomes
0: absolutely. And I also know, obviously, there's a lot of customers that are very familiar with this. They may already have a a VMware environment up and running. And so for them, they'll grab your script. They'll deploy a new environment inside their own existing vCenter server. But what about customers that are new to VMware and don't have an existing vCenter server and they want to actually start to deploy all this? What's the easiest way to get started?
2: Yeah, there's, there's a couple of ways. I actually did. Um, so as part of my exploration of v you know, another area of passion of mine is around our, our Tanzu stack and our v or Tanzu and our new TKG 2.0 release. And so that was something I was really interested in getting my hands on, especially the new VM service. And I, again, <laughs> another blog post, i talked about some of the new really cool capabilities uh, using Kubernetes to deploy VM-based workloads, right, as well as Kubernetes. And so, you know, being able to stand up that stack, it can be complex, especially for new users, right? You've got your virtualization layers, that's ESXi. You've got your uh, vSphere management layer, which is vCenter. You have your choices of storage, so it could be standard VMFS, uh, you know, NFS from from your filers, or even things like vSAN. And then once you get into the Tanzu space, you know, this is generally new for a lot of our typical, you know, VI cloud admin. Um, experience, right? And so be able to learn about Kubernetes easily. Uh, And then there's also a networking component that's required, right? To be able to deliver these on-demand workloads like Kubernetes and VM workloads. So I found, you know, working with Tanzu over the past five, six years, um, networking tends to be the the challenge for, for a lot of folks. And I put myself in that bucket. I'm not a networking person by any means, but I do have to kind of understand enough of it to kind of get by. And for our Visa Tanzu, for folks that are familiar, we have sort of three different networking technologies that's available too, just to kind of depends on your needs and capabilities. Um, so a free option is using HAProxy. So this provides the load balancing uh, for your workloads. We also have support for both NSXT as well as our NSX uh, Advanced uh, Load Balancing, or also known as Avi. And so from a home lab, point of view, people just want to get access to vSphere Tanzu, get the basics of it. And then once they get familiar with it, they might consider deploying more advanced networking solutions. And so um, while I've been kind of playing with the vSphere and Tanzu stack, again, networking has always been a challenge. How do you quickly get started? And because these Intel Nooks are super great for so many different use cases, you know, vSphere, vSAN, NSX. And I was like, well, what if we can make it super easy for somebody to, you know, basically go from bare metal to vSphere with Tonsu, you know, say in about an hour's time. And so I had put wow. together a blog post a while back wow. ago, it's still cool for vSphere 8, that allows you to install the full vSphere with Tanzu stack using HAProxy. Um, and I, the other thing that I did was to say, can I install it with the minimum amount of resources? I know not everybody has infinite amount of resources, I certainly don't. Uh, and you know, 32 gigabytes seems like a fairly, Entry level uh, points in terms of price and just capability-wise, right? I think anything under than that, you start to get into difficulties because VCenter is going to need some amount of resources if you're doing VSAN, et cetera, right? So I say 32 gig feels like a good starting point. And funny enough, I can get the whole stack deployed and running comfortably under 32 gigs of memory, and I can you can even deploy like a Doom Kubernetes application, right? So that's kind of like their minimum. If you kind of move it to 64 gigs of memory, especially for these SODIMs on these nooks, they're fairly inexpensive and it's super worth the investment because that means that you now have an extra 32 gigs of memory for deploying other types of workloads. Um, and so to answer your question, to get started, you know, I do have a series of scripts that will basically walk you through that whole process. And so you get vSphere, you can do vSphere if you wish, you don't have to, it can just be local VMFS, it can be NAS. And then stand up the rest of the Tanzu stack. Um, And again, this is just a way to demonstrate that you can run a large part of the VMware infrastructure on fairly inexpensive hardware with minimum amount of memory resources and all that. So it doesn't have to break the bank for somebody that's kind of getting getting started into virtualization or somebody that's kind of returning back and kind of interested to see what we have to offer for vSphere.
1: Well, and I had kind of had a perception that our stack required a lot of RAM to run all of these bits. Um, and it's nice to see this, not only for home lab, but also you look at some of the edge use cases, some of the telco use cases where people are like, you know, 30, uh, trying to, tr- if you can trim the memory footprint by 32 gigs, that adds up when you're looking at 50,000 sites and things like that. Absolutely. So there is, there is still a focus on efficiency, it looks like.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, when you look at our typical stack and software, right, we're designing it um, to run hundreds of thousands of workloads, if not more, in the enterprise data center high availability. So that's sort of the design principle going out the door. But when you think about like home labs, we can actually start to tune things down. You know, you take a look at Tanzu. by default, we have a three node supervisor cluster, right? For things like quorum, all the good things you want. In a home lab, you may not care. You might say, you know what, if it blows up, I'll just tear it down. And so there are little tricks here to say, yep, instead of a three node supervisor cluster, I actually just want one. So it's all these little tricks here and there that I've kind of learned over the years of just, minimizing my own, you know, resource footprint, and it ends up being something that's very useful. And in fact, recently, I even found like a lot of engineering teams are using it for their own test beds, and even for their own home labs, because again, we don't have infinite resources, like, you know, as compared to work and all that. And so being able to deploy our stack, getting that hands on experience is really critical. Uh, And that's actually how I've learned a lot of my things, right? So either you want to deploy on physical, because you want to try something specifically or deploy it in a nested environment. So yeah, there's definitely lots of tricks um, that I've Shared over the years, that's definitely worth checking out on the
0: blog. Yeah, for sure. It, it just makes me laugh, William. I, you know, because for those that are not aware, William's day job is not blogger. <laughs> you know, and and yet you spend yeah. There's enough research in in your in WilliamLamb.com to be three people's full time job. So, yeah, kudos to you for that. I, I I was actually in a customer meeting not too long ago, and they were like, it was an official customer meeting. They were tra- they were actually training uh, sales folks, and they were like the official thing was like, we need to go and pull William Lamb's script to do this thing where we analyze such and such. And I was just laughing to myself thinking like here, they're leveraging something that he wrote on a weekend, you know, just because, Hey, this will make somebody's life easier. And now it's part of, well, you know, the force.
1: <laughs> well, and I'm sure William also suffers the, the challenge of all great bloggers where you Google something and you find your own blog and you forgot you wrote it. So
2: oh yeah yeah i definitely see that a lot and and sometimes i forget like oh crap (laughs) he wrote about this i feel bad because i was like first thing i do is actually not search my own blog which is probably a bad bad advice but uh yeah i go online and luckily google is really great at indexing but no uh thanks for that comment Pete. yeah a lot of times people think this is my day job it's not uh i just enjoy um you know sharing uh what i've learned and just making it easy for users right you know like i said early on we don't want you know these new releases be difficult for users to get started on. You know, there's a lot of great capabilities that's really gonna solve real world business problems. And so my goal, even when I was a customer, you know, when I enabled our internal development teams, you know, new feature sets and all that, you know, I'm thinking about the end users, you know, installing ESXi is not interesting right? Deploying vSAN is not interesting, right? Period. Like, yeah, it's great that we've got all this technology to make it really simple, but at the end of the day, you want to learn about Kubernetes. You want to learn about storage efficiency from our storage platforms. You want to learn about management. How do you deploy next generation applications and all that? So that is like the value add. So for me to be able to create a script, um, yeah, it takes a few hours or whatever it takes and all that, but it's going to pay dividends. I think personally, to help our customers really to grow themselves so they can focus on other areas, right? If you want to learn about API and automation, do it in nested, you can break it as many times. And once you feel comfortable, you can start to apply those techniques and learnings to your actual production environment. So that's kind of the way I see it. But you're absolutely right. This is not my day job. So sometimes there are some expectations like, oh, he's gonna have this done or, hey, how come this is not ready? And you know, again, I've got a lot on my plate. And uh, also the keynote coming up at uh, Barcelona is definitely gonna, um, I'm gonna be heads down. So you may not see as many blog posts (laughs) in the next few weeks.
1: So uh, just to be clear, that will be a, a fresh keynote, there'll be some new some new content there.
2: You know, I can't say anything at the moment, but I think Ah. there will be something cool for everybody. So let's just, let's just keep it at that. I (laughs) might actually, I hear like my door knocking. (laughs) I feel like the lawyers.
1: (laughs) We'll we'll watch this space as Chad would always say. So, Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, well, you know, listen, I've learned a lot from your blog as well. I mean, I've spent a lot of time working with uh, vSphere Lifecycle Manager and it was your blog where I discovered, you know, because, little, little foundation here, vSphere lifecycle manager, VMware gives you the ability to uh, remediate all the hosts in your cluster to, to align your versions and make sure that everything still has the, uh, the same setup and you can choose to remediate all or you can choose to just remediate an individual server. Uh, and so, yeah, it was on your blog where I actually learned that you could, um, you know, you, leveraging the e- API, you could actually choose a list of ESXi hosts that you wanted to, to remediate Uh, which is a huge thing for, you know, small business, not a big deal because I'll just do manual uh, larger environments. They want to have that everything across the board to be exactly the same, but there's always that one-off or a certain set of uh, hosts that are going to be different. And so to me, hopefully this will eventually be in the software that it can be done. Uh, But I love the fact that I was able to learn on your blog post that there was a way to do it via the API.
2: Yeah. and, And I had a couple of customers ask about that. So part of that was like, If I get more than two requests, you know, it probably means that it's something that is not well known and probably worth sharing. But the way that I figured that out was actually using a nested environment. And I actually have not played with the VLCM APIs um, as much. So I was like, hey, this is a great opportunity to check out the new ESX level um, management from vlcm because now you can actually apply configuration profiles right so this is sort of eventually the replacement for host profiles in a declarative manner so in vlcm for those that are familiar with it we're able to actually describe the images right at a cluster level um, and so obviously i can patch an update and in the ui like you said pete you can either do all or you can do one by one and i was like well you can do one by one so obviously the functionality is there but it's not ideal so i just took a look at the api and i was like oh API is not only super easy to use, but it's just a list of hosts that you want, you know, uh, applied. And then what I've also found is that it actually follows the ordering, right? So if you want a particular ordering, you just give it a list, and then VLCM does the rest magically, right? So in prior to vSphere 8, the parallel remediation was one. So if I've got a 32 node, 96 node cluster, whatever it may be, I can enter as many hosts as I want. And in that order, it will remediate each and every single one at a time. In v 8, as you know, we now have the ability to set up parallel remediation. So I can still specify the order post. This is not something that you can ever do with Update Manager. And if I remember, you know, my days as an admin, you know, best practice was to put your vCenter, your management components in the first few ESXi hosts in the cluster, generally, you know, numerical order, um, and you would have affinity rules. But when Update Manager came about, it just kind of patched whatever host randomly. And you know, certain times you're like, I want those three hosts to be fully patched that way. If I ever have an outage, vCenter will come back online. And so now with VLCM, I can specify, you know, my first patch cycle will be these set of hosts right, vCenter will, will, will vMotion automatically. Once they're patched, I'll put, that, or put uh, vCenter back there, and then I can specify the remainder of the host. And again, it does it, it follows all the HA policies, all the parallel remediation, um, but the API is just simply given a list. So yeah, it's not as simple as using the UI, but it allows uh, these users, and I'm sure others will have the same use case like you described, um, and you know, hopefully we'll eventually see this capability in the UI. So again, it's another of those things where having this lab environment allows you to try things out, break things if you need to, understand how the product works, and then you can take these techniques and kind of apply it to your production environment.
0: And then note to VMware product management, please add that as a future uh, feature. (laughs) Very nice, very nice. Another one I saw that I thought was interesting, uh, and it was, you know, as of vSphere 8 was uh, the the, the converter. You know, if someone wants to say go to uh, VMware Cloud on AWS, maybe we can talk a little bit about that one.
2: Oh, yeah, no, that's a great one. Yeah, actually, I just published that yesterday. Uh, you know, funny enough, it, I, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with this. I think we were all kind of bummed to hear that, you know, Converter was end of life a couple of years back. And, you know, luckily it wasn't for that long. Uh, it not only came back last month as a beta, um, but with all the help of our customers and our partners, it's officially GA. So there now is a modern version of Converter. Uh, and again, the goal of Converter, this initial 6.3 release was to kind of bring it back to the parity that was there already. Um, and then kind of up level some of the guest operating systems and obviously add support for vSphere 7. Um, and future releases, you know, you'll know, you start to see a lot more innovative capabilities and even support for like vSphere 8. Um, but because I've been seeing a lot of customers actually interested in moving to VMware Cloud and AWS, um, and Converter really was the only option for them given the size of the organization, just kind of skill set. Um, I was curious because I know that it's not an official destination for us in terms of testing point of view, but because we have vSphere 7 support and the current versions of SCDCs are a mix of vSphere 7 as well as vSphere 8, I figured like, hey, let's try a, a relatively recent uh, SCDC version, 1.18, uh, which is across most of our customers' um, uh, fleet and all that. And to my surprise, it just worked beautifully. Workload migrated over, I was able to power it on. So I was like, okay, cool, that works. And I know that would make a lot of customers happy because especially some they don't have the option to wait for us to validate the version. You know, some of these customers are coming from like co-locations, their time box of like, hey, I got to get my infrastructure out, or I got to close up this data center. So I'm glad that this can help those customers. Um, obviously, vSphere is still relatively new. I don't think a lot of people have deployed it into production. But if you have a need to move workloads into a more recent release, I had also you know, experimented with the latest version of Converter with vSphere 8 and again, just worked uh, so i'm hoping to see these you know officially on our test matrix and in our really uh in a, in a future update but i think for customers who still have a need to move workloads uh both virtual as well as physical right like we kind of laugh as like oh who still does physical but you know we still get inquiries all the time of like hey i've got all these physical servers i need to move it and really convert it is though one of the best tools out in the market. There's certainly a lot of alternative options from different vendors, but from a VMware standpoint, a free solution, one that a lot of folks have lived and died by, um, you know, have really uh, used Converter to really help them get off these old legacy platforms and kind of move that into new versions of Visa releases or, you know, straight into our cloud offerings.
0: Very nice. Yeah. So William, I know, yeah, vSphere 8 has been, uh, you know, it was announced at VMware Explore US, and I know you've been tinkering with it in your lab for quite some time. So w- what are your overall thoughts about vSphere 8, where we are in terms of uh, VMware with our vSphere product?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think um, if you looked at uh, VMware Explorer US and you kind of looked at the keynote and kind of the areas that we focused on, you know, the theme that I got out of it, especially coming into the keynote as a, as a first timer was that. We really want to focus on, on, on accelerating workloads and really um, speeding and accelerating those types of workloads that you may not be expecting, You know whether it's some of the work that we're doing with the DPUs and starting to offload that to give you back capacity and resources in your x86 host so that you can start to run more workloads. Same for things like vSend ESA, ESA to really have to give you that performance for workloads, whether it's like the snapshot capabilities with something like thousands of snapshots. I think about our Tanzu stack to be able to run you know, workloads and operating systems that just wasn't possible before. Customers can now bring in their own operating system of choice, harden that as they need be and make that available, whether it's a writing a TKG uh, guest cluster or normal workloads themselves, and again, all of this foundational infrastructure is also brought into our VMware Cloud Stack. And so now you have the ability to consume modern infrastructure and getting all the benefits, right? There's so many exciting new features in, in vSphere, um, again, focused on workloads, You know, giving you additional metadata services, uh having better performance uh some of the low latency things that's really targeting some of our edge telco scenario so when i look at it from a theme standpoint it's like workloads 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 and really just accelerating that and making them extremely performance Um, so that's kind of my takeaway just kind of playing around with some of our um latest release
1: yeah I, i saw i mean i was looking at a lot of the features and i looked at you know these are either new performance features or making existing more consumable And I know they'll benefit more than Telco, but all of them I was looking, I was like, man, this is gonna help those that one weird app that people refuse to virtualize, Uh, which often is something like a SIP proxy or some weird, you know, SPC controller. And I was like, this is really, you know, pushing those final limits of where people are trying to hide physical boxes.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, the three of us on this call, we've, we've all been at VMware for over five years each, uh, uh, respectively, a little bit more, but um, yeah, we've definitely seen the mature the maturation of the various products, whether it's vSAN, vSphere. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I think vSphere 8 is definitely probably one of the more solid uh, releases I've actually had a, the opportunity to play with. So I'm actually looking forward to GA, and I'm definitely looking forward to to uh, seeing you in VMware Barcelona for our session. Uh, If you are attending uh, VMware Explore Barcelona, be sure to go to our session, 60 Minutes of Virtually Speaking Live, Accelerating Cloud Transformation. It's gonna be the three of us on this call, but also Frank Dennerman and Duncan Epping. We're gonna have a good time talking about some cloud transformation. Uh, That's gonna do for me. William, thanks so much for joining us as always, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in Barcelona. See you guys, thanks for having me again.